0: I'm Kevin Hardy, former all-pro linebacker for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and this is Action Sports Jax.
1: You said this, how one person destroyed our 2017 AFC Championship team. Leonard, talk
0: to me. What did you mean by that?
2: Uh, I mean, this: just knowing the fact that uh, we had different type of caliber guys on our team, from pro bowlers to was going to be pro bowlers. And uh, how things happened and how it turned out, you know, that's, that wasn't... Was the plan we thought we had in mind.
0: Who is that one person, Leonard? That's what I want to know.
2: Nah, I don't, I don't, I don't say any names, you know. But y'all, 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 y'all have a good guess. Is it? Yeah, is that fair to say it's someone in the front office? Maybe
1: high up in the front office? Is that fair to say, Leonard? Yeah, you can maybe see he that. Maybe used to work in New York. <laughs> that's Leonard Fournette on First Take, and that's a shot at Tom Coughlin right there, <laughs> because what he did on Twitter—if you didn't see it is it's the great video of, like, this red solo cup uh, pyramid, mm-hmm. and it's huge, like, in this guy's living room, and he's trying to put, like, the last one on, or maybe there's two more to go, yeah. all the way at the top, and he's on a ladder, yeah. and he reaches, and he falls off and crashes right into all the, I mean, the thing looks like it took him three months to Stage do it. now. It's staged, yeah. for sure, but, but pretty impressive. So Leonard tweeted that, retweeted that, yeah. and said, uh, like, kind of looks like, One guy at our our 2000 AFC championship uh, run or something Mm -hmm. like that, to that effect, and talking about Tom Coughlin, Mm -hmm. how it's been dismantled ever since then. And a lot of the folks that were part of it, obviously now gone. Uh, Different reasons. A.J. Boye, Jalen Ramsey traded away. Calais Campbell traded away. Marcel Darius released for cap reasons. Uh, also Telvin Smith, retired. I mean, Telvin Smith, a name that we continue to kind of just bury is like, what happened to Telvin Smith? And by the way, no signs at all of that guy coming back. Uh, no discussion of it at all. Uh, at all. So, uh, that, uh, you know, obviously Blake Bortles and, and other people too, but that's what Leonard Fournette was talking about. Is that a, a veiled shot? Is that a pretty fair shot, uh, by Leonard? Uh, well done. Do you like that? Do you mind that? Um, I don't mind it. Um,
0: is it a fair critique? One could argue yes, because uh, a big reason why Jalen Ramsey's not here right now. I think a big reason why Yannick Ngakwe wants out. I think a big reason why there might have been some problems in the locker room, obviously, and a big reason why, well, actually the reason why the NFLPA told players about this sign in Jacksonville was due to Tom Coughlin. So I think everything he said, um, it was warranted. Now, is it the right thing to say you know, on social media because he's gone now and obviously you're still on the Jaguar, so does it come across as making the team look bad? I think he, you could argue that, but overall, when I saw it, I just kind of laughed at it, man. I didn't think it, uh, I took it too personally, and I'm not sure if anybody in that stadium really takes it too personally. Either.
1: I, I don't either. Listen, I don't think uh, when people are gone, you're going to get this, whether it's in a tell-all book, it's in an interview, it is uh, it is what it is, and I don't know. Is he wrong? Uh, is if that's where people think that it was pointed at, mm-hmm. uh, which a lot of players appear to, then that's they get the uh, final say. You know, some of them are still in the building or with other teams, and they get the final say if they want. You know, not, I don't think you're going to hear from Tom Coffin on that. Now there are two sides to each story, and uh, also what we've been saying all along when it comes to Yannick and Gakwe especially, is. Well, how much of the remnants are left over? The fact that Doug Morone and Dave Caldwell are still there. Uh, how much does that matter? Well, it seems to matter a little bit to Jan. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it seems to matter as much to Fournette. Uh, but Fournette has not been shy at throwing hints. He's not a shy guy to begin with. Uh, so you gotta, sometimes it's really hard to figure out Leonard. I, I I've gone back and forth whether he wants to almost get out of here, ask a trade out of here. Please get me out of here. Like you've done with everybody else. Or if he wants to kind of be the guy in that locker room, you know, and and say, hey, I'll teach these young pups how to do it. I've learned a lot through my first three years, and I don't mind being that guy. I really don't know what side of that, if you had to ask Leonard Fournette, he would fall off. I think it comes down to this. You know, whether you take Jalen Ramsey coming from
0: Florida State, you take Fournette coming from LSU, they're accustomed to winning. Okay? That's pretty much all they know. And when you win in football – It's the time of your life. When you start losing over and over and over again, all of a sudden that joy, that passion, that thing that makes you get up and go to work every single morning, it starts to deteriorate a little bit, and all of a sudden it's not as fun anymore, and all of a sudden it starts to feel more like a job and more like a burden as opposed to having fun and looking forward to going to work every single day. I think Fournette is the same case here. I just think this is a guy who wants to win. Um, I think this is a guy who's very self-aware that when you lose key pieces of the team and when they get either traded away, number one or number two, they just get let go. Um, that can affect your chances of winning. And I think he understands that. And at the bottom, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like, yes, he is, I think I I consider him a leader now. You know, I think he he could be a captain next year. Um, he's made changes in his life, obviously, and he's kind of, uh, took this new approach to how he approaches the offseason. I think it's fantastic. But it's just him, you know, like it has to be everybody, everybody on the same page, everybody in the same boat, or they're not going to win. So I think he looks at the locker room right now. I think he looks at the situation and realizes, man, there's not a lot of winning going on here right now. All right. And yeah, Leonard Fournette can turn that around if he wants to. But not, it just can't be him. Right. That's why Clayus Campbell, I feel like, and A.J. Boyle were so important because they were guys who knew how to do it the right way. Well, they're gone now. So I think it's just, it's Leonard Fournette trying to speak out a little bit and saying, listen, we, we got to start winning because if we don't, man, I don't value coming to work every single day with a smile on my face.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's Leonard Fournette. We'll hear a little bit more from his talk on First Take. And and he recently, by the way, bought uh, 56,000 meals, I think, over a two-month span uh, for the folks back in uh, in Baton Rouge and New Orleans and, and Louisiana. So uh He's doing good things. Listen, he has a big heart, man. Uh, You say whatever you want about Leonard Fournette, but I think that guy, I've watched it in action. He, uh, I think it's one of the cool things. I remember sitting down with him for an interview before last season, and uh, I can't applaud enough what he does to relate to fans. He knows where he came from. He, he knows what it's like to kind of be a kid and, and look up to other people and that kind of, he gets that, you know. He might not get some. You can, he has, uh, he has his critics and, and some rightfully so, but he gets that. And I've always respected the heck out of that for Leonard Fournette. So nice job by him, uh, to help out everybody, uh, at home. He helps out a lot of folks. I think he's going to do something next week too, uh, with the Jacksonville schools. Uh, that I recently got a, a press release on. So maybe more on that next week for Leonard Fournette. We'll have some more Fournette conversation. But I want to switch over to Minshew, uh, because we're going to get to the draft and the 12 picks and, and how this thing, did we, did we find anything out today is what we always like to do. And the answer to that is, well, not really, but we got their opinions and I don't think they're lying to us. I don't think they're, see, the one thing about Caldwell, he's not a big smokescreen guy. Now, I'm not saying he's never done it, I'm not saying he wouldn't do it, but I don't think he really goes out of his way to throw it out there. Uh, you know, been covering them now for eight years, and you haven't seen a lot of it. Now, the Johnny Manziel year felt like there might have been a little smoke screen going out. Uh, you, you know, there were stories that somebody let it out purposely in a meeting with like receivers that Manziel might be high on their list, and then those guys spoke to eight a- their agents, and that was almost purposeful from the Jags to know that people would get. I don't know how true that story is, uh, but I've heard that story before, and that's how sometimes things leak out, and, and they were at the top of the draft or near the top of the draft, and Manziel was very much in play. But there was a lot of smoke for Johnny Manziel to potentially come here in the final 24, 36 hours. So we'll see if the Jags throw anything like that out. But they don't really have a history of doing that with Dave Caldwell uh, very much. So we'll get to the draft stuff. But I think one of the big things coming out of today is every time I hear the Jags and Doug Marone and, and Dave Caldwell too, but especially Doug Marone, talk about his quarterback. And that is Gardner Minshew. And Minshew is the man here in Jacksonville. Doug Marone said, hey, if we had to roll it out right now, we're going to go. We're excited about going with Gardner Minshew. But he also brought up the idea of competition. And then he also brought up the idea of putting things around Minshew to make him as good as he can be, which has been a big discussion point of ours over the last week, week and a half or so, really the last couple of days when we were talking about Kyla Murray and, and Drew Locke and Daniel Jones and what other teams are doing to put weapons around them. I think Coos has Doug Marone, uh, earlier today talking about Gardner Minshew. Oh,
2: well, I think, I think when you look at it, I think, you know, first of all, we, we evaluated everyone in the draft. I mean, so we evaluated, you know, the quarterback position, just like we've evaluated the defensive end running back position, e- every, you know, and I think a lot of times you'll look out there and, you know, right now, you know, this this question, I, I hope you know everybody gets straight. Right now, if we want to play, Gardner Minshew's our guy, and I'm excited about that. But do I want competition for him? Uh, absolutely. You want competition for everyone, though. You know, I don't want to make it where, you know, I'm answering this question and uh, Marone's not as confident or Marone wants competition. I want, you know, just for the quarterback, I want competition for everyone, you know, in that position. But the one thing about Gardner is that, you know, he has shown some good things last year. You know, we did win, obviously, six games with him. Uh, he's a guy right now that's working his ass off. I mean, um, so, again, you know, right now we're working on getting a better football team, like Dave said, if we could bring someone in. Or, you know, the other thing is, hey, bring some people in around that, that can help that position, that quarterback. I think everyone has to prove um You know, no different if we're talking about, you know, Josh Allen, who had a great year, or D.J. Charles, who had a great year. year. Um, You know, we want to do that. But when when people talk about, hey, you know, do you have confidence in this player? Well, when you put a player on that field and he's a starter, you know, what you're saying is, I have total confidence in this play. I mean, because if you don't, you're really selling, you know, the, the team short, the organization short, and the fans short. So, Anyone we put
1: on that field, but if you're asking me, am I happy with Gardner? Absolutely. Yeah, and that's uh, Doug Marone. Oh. A, a long answer to uh, yeah, Gardner Minshew, but I, I, you know, first of all, I appreciate Marone because he gets it, right? He's like, hey, don't sit here and run with this, whatever I say, and then make this a headline mm-hmm. into, oh, no no. no, no, no one. But he's trying to also tell everybody on his football team. And you always have to do this as a coach, there's always competition. Mm-hmm. And so don't be surprised if we do anything. I think what it screams to me and what it screamed to us the entire time is, you got to go back to about a month ago. I said this, and if I'm Shad Khan, uh, a little role-playing, right, which isn't a bad, uh, $8 billion in my check account, a kismet, all this other stuff. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mind that. Role. I wouldn't either, yeah. But uh, if I was Shad Khan, I might say to Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone, I don't want a young quarterback in this draft. I want to see what I have with Gardner Minshew. I want to see what this is. I want to see from a football standpoint. He's earned the right of that from last year. I want to see what it could do from a business standpoint. I don't want that. Now, if you want to go get a veteran quarterback because you want more experience in the room, I would, I would not be surprised to hear that. Like I might say that. Now it's hard to do because what if they come back and say, Hey, if Tua slips, like we think Tua is unbelievable, like, you, th- you might think Trevor Lawrence is good next year. We think Tua is that guy. Yeah. So that's why it's unfair to blanket say, well, you, you never do it. You never do it. You can't. But you get my point. I'm just thinking quarterback is not even an option because they're riding with this guy. And I think Doug Marone kind of is in, is insinuating the same, but he also knows the draft is a funny thing, and you mm-hmm. never know how it works out. I do think what you said all along, and Andy Dalton makes some sense, whether they're willing to trade or if they just go get him when he gets cut eventually by Cincinnati, which I think a lot of people assume he will. That's what I think the Jaguars are doing right now,
0: right? Because you still have Cam Newton available. You have Jameis Winston available. And and what hurts Andy Dalton's trade value right now is the fact that Cam Newton and Jameis Winston are still available because he's always going to be the third guy out of that group. Absolutely, no, no one's going no, to go out of their way guy to try out to. Of those three. He's a cheaper guy, but no one's going to go out of their way to get Andy Dalton on their team if Cam Newton and Jameis Winston are available, regardless of how much it costs. So, yeah, I mean, and and I've kind of said it before, that's why I think that the the Jaguars are possibly waiting to see how this draft shakes out. Obviously, I think Joe Burrow going to Cincinnati is, you know, a foregone conclusion, but they're still waiting to see, make sure they get Burrow, and then Cincinnati might cut him, in which case, then the Jaguars can scoop him up, probably at a
1: discount. When you heard what Marone just said about Gardner, though, do you get the same feel like, hey, we're happy with this guy. We like this guy. We think we can win games with this guy. Let's build around this guy. And also, does it almost validate your thoughts of they went in there and said to Sean Khan, hey, if you take us back, we're going with this guy, <laughs> You yeah. know, whether we trade Foles or not. Mm-hmm. And see, now it's a little bit different because when we talked to Marone at the combine, it was Foles was still in play, hadn't been traded yet. But now they can open up a little bit more about Minshew, wrap their arms around Minshew, and say, hey, he's our man. So I got the sense of that. I don't know if you did.
0: No, I mean, listen, I've been very adamant about this since the season got out with. The analytics say Gardner Minshew could be special. His teammates say that Gardner Minshew is special, and the coaches seem to love him. Say no more. See what you got with Gardner Minshew now, and I think you know Shad Khan can a- a- echo those you know those same words. And obviously, if you want to put the the, the business side of it, you know the, the the guy's a cash cow waiting to happen. So I think he is he is the trifecta, I guess the quadfecta, if you will, of what makes a great quarterback. And you have to ride it out this season
1: to make sure that's what he is. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it- now they have to build around him and, and mm-hmm. I think he acknowledged that a little bit with playmakers. Uh, they have to put him in a great situation. Uh, something else that minor came out of today, but it was mentioned a couple of times and was mentioned right there by Marone, is Brandon Linder, if you ask anybody in that building, played fantastic football last year. That is like a crime to say here in Jacksonville that any offensive lineman played fantastic mm-hmm. but I Linder, I'm telling you, up and down. From December to now, anyone you talk to in that building will rave about the way Linder played. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that's supposed to look like, but it's good to hear, isn't it? Well, he was second on um,
0: consecutive plays for not allowing a sack. He, he was second out of all offensive linemen. So, I mean, I'm sure that has got something to do with it. Um,. Lindner plays that position where I mean, especially where he's at, uh obviously you don't notice him that much, right? And we we broke it down a little bit on the wall that says it all. There was a few plays last year where the entire offensive line had their backs turned. Right. They're looking in the backfield, the watching defensive tackles, watching defensive ends, watching blitzing linebackers make plays on Fournette and company in the backfield. So with that being said, yes, there there's been some instances where Brand Linder probably didn't look that great. But overall, with the Jaguars having an offensive line, I think, you know, I think John Taylor obviously showed that um, he has some promise going forward. And I think Brandon Linder, um, you know, he's kind of done what he's always done. Like, he's just he's dependable, I think. Um, you don't hear his name called a lot. And that's a good thing. Like, it, it, people have to be careful not to rope Brandon Linder into the entire offensive line. Right. Like, yeah, I get he's part of that group. But a lot of things, a lot of the breakdowns probably didn't happen from him.
1: Yeah, I also think uh was interesting. I thought he shed some light on Cam Robinson later in the talk, too, when he said Cam did not play as well last year as he played in his rookie year. Mm -hmm. And by the way, when you look at that standard, it's not like he played at a Pro Bowl level in his rookie year. There are a lot of people that came out of 2017 with Cam Robinson and said, you know what, that was pretty good. Uh, you know what? It wasn't as good as you think it was. It was a lot of mixed bag. And then he gets hurt the second year. It uh, doesn't even get really back to the field until September. And they're using that as a bit of a crutch mm-hmm. to say, hey, we think he can play better. He just missed all this practice time and it and that hurt him. So, again, didn't say they wouldn't upgrade that position, which we'll get into a little bit more uh, on the trenches uh, later on in the show. But it was just an interesting acknowledgment for Marone to at least characterize what last year was for Robinson. Obviously, year two for Robinson was a throwout year because of the ACL. But last year wasn't even as good as his first year. So they need to see major growth from Cam Robinson. So people looking for offensive line, thinking there could be an upgrade. you know, that, That's a plausible scenario. You mm-hmm. know, and, and that's a reasonable thought. Uh, and I think all of us have wondered uh, about that as well. The other curiosity, as I stay on Minshew for a moment before we get a little deeper into the draft discussion of what Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone talked about, is I still think one of the most undertold stories of this offseason to this point, because there's been a lot going on, mm-hmm. and we kind of wonder with the curiosity of all these picks, and then the trades of Foles and Calais and what's going on with Jan, is quietly in that building in a room, well, not really, in his own room, somewhere in a house or an apartment, because he might not even have a house yet, is Jay Gruden. And I still think Jay Gruden and Gardner Minshew, man, I don't know what it is. I I just – I see that as a really nice fit, a really nice fit. It might be the Gruden name. It might be what we know of Minshew. But I think that's important. I was thinking of this today. Today's the 20th year anniversary of Tom Brady getting drafted. Number 199, keep in mind Minshew was 178, and uh, forever we'll always link the two because of that kind of thing, sixth round. But hopefully we link the two forever and ever. And uh, that would be fantastic. Be nice. But I, I still always wonder this, and you ne- it's really hard to say. If uh, Tom Brady had ended up in Baltimore, hmm. had ended up in Seattle, ended up in Dallas – would Tom Brady have become Tom Brady? And the reason I always say that is, well, everything's situational. I firmly believe Russell Wilson would not have become Russell Wilson of, of what he has been if he ended up here in Jacksonville instead of Brian Anger. Now, it still would have been worth taking the pick. <laughs> no, for <laughs> But sure. I'm just yeah. saying I'm not sure he would have ended up like that. Yeah. What I Who I don't think gets enough credit for Tom Brady back in the day in the early years is a guy like Charlie Weiss. I mean, Weiss helped build that system. Now, Brady deserves a ton of credit. Absolutely. He's played 20 years, man. He's carried that franchise. Belichick and that relationship certainly deserves a lot of credit. McDaniels over the years, Bill O'Brien even, the relationships that he had, the the, the chemistry with his coaches certainly helps pave the way. I don't think you cannot have that and be that successful. So he was very fortunate, and whether that was mostly Brady, which it probably was, but I don't think Weiss gets enough credit. So I kind of always have wondered a lot, would he have ended up as the greatest quarterback if he didn't end up with Weiss in that situation and then also Belichick? Uh, So my point being, how important is it for a quarterback to mesh and have a good feel with his QB coach slash offensive coordinator slash head coach? And I'll give you one more example while you think about it. Blake Bortles, I I will always say this, the biggest mistake of Gus Bradley's tenure was hiring Jed Fish. Mm-hmm. Jed Fish didn't work. That's nothing, I like Jed, actually, but it, it didn't work. It wasn't going. And then the domino effect of that not working was real in the coaching ranks from Greg Olson to other tries to uh, end up being Nathaniel Hackett. But the list was short because people thought they were going to get fired that year. You couldn't hire anybody, maybe the best candidate, all that kind of stuff. Well, Jed Fish and Bortles did not hit it off. Mm-hmm. So you got a young quarterback who's very green, and has some issues to begin with and needs some growth and he doesn't hit it off with with his offensive coordinator well that's a recipe for disaster in the early stages and I think that's an example of how it can go all wrong not to say if Jed Fish wasn't the offensive coordinator Blake Bortles would have ended up winning four Super Bowls but you get my point so what you're trying to say
0: here is that Charlie Weiss was was a just as bit of responsible for Tom Brady being I, Tom I, Brady as Bill Belichick was. I think
1: he was very responsible in the early days, and he doesn't Just get enough credit. Them. But it really turns out to be this Minshew-Gruden relationship is not talked about enough, in my opinion. I think this is the key. You know, Mm -hmm. more so than so many other things we're talking about, you know, maybe more so than Cam Robinson being good at left tackle, even though that's probably key, Mm -hmm. is how well do these guys mesh? How well does Gruden build a plan around what Minshew can do? How much does he get away from Leonard, 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 Leonard Leonard all the time? Mm -hmm. You know, I just don't know if we've talked about that enough. And I thought it was pretty evident today with Doug Marone when he was asked about Gruden and, and that they would. It sounds like they'd like to throw it around a little bit more and they will get away from just pound it, pound it, pound it.
0: You know, it's it's an interesting take, I guess. Um, did Charlie Weiss help Tom Brady when he was young? Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, anytime you're a young football player, you need a great position coach. You need a great uh, coordinator to try to get you acclimated to the NFL. So there's not a doubt in my mind. But then I make the argument of, well, Charlie Weiss didn't last that long in the New England Patriots, right? Then he goes to Kansas City Chiefs. I believe he brings Matt Castle over. Matt Castle has a good year in Kansas City. It is what it is there. But my point is Tom Brady has gone through a couple coaches, okay? And Tom Brady has gone through a couple of coordinators, and he's always had success. Yes. So I think, with that being said, um, I think Tom Brady benefited more of the personnel that was put around him. You know, kind of like those Island of Misfit toys, those Amandolas, uh, those Danny Woodheads, uh, those June Edelmans. Um, obviously, having Gronk uh, helped out a lot. But I think Tom Brady, the biggest calling card why he was so successful, in my opinion, well, number one, I mean, he had, he had a chip on his shoulder. He's got grit, he's got a great work ethic. But it was also the, the teammates that he played with, where. Yeah. Those teammates wouldn't have worked a lot of places in the NFL, but they all found a way to work in New England. Now, is that just Charlie Weiss? No. He had something to do with it, I'm sure. But to me, that's more Bill Belichick. That's more of the GM structuring the roster.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Uh, It's a fair point, but it's a lot like you say about Mahomes, right? You think Andy Reid and Mahomes. Would Mahomes be this? Well, the personnel is fantastic, but the relationship with Reid could be special. I say it with Wilson, Wilson and Carroll. Wilson did not have to do as much early on, but he was very successful. Mm -hmm. They built around him in a nice way. I think he understood everything they were trying to do. They didn't put too much on his plate. I think Brady is the same way. It's really hard for us to get 20 years in the rearview mirror when it comes to Brady. But if we remember the early years of Brady, it was the defense that helped win that first Super Bowl. Brady made some clutch plays. But it was the offense. It was Weiss's scheme that kind of was different. It was a little bit of different. It helped Weiss get some other jobs, by the way, in the college ranks, too. Uh, and, and Weiss is now looked at kind of like a this, ah, failed coach. Mm-hmm. But I think people forget about Charlie Weiss. And what I think the greatness of Tom Brady is, is he mastered that system, mastered it and then elevated it and kind of evolved it sure. as his years went along and owned it. You know, but I just don't think Charlie Weiss gets enough credit. It'd be interesting as he writes books down the road, mm-hmm. how much he talks about Weiss in those early years. I could be dead wrong. Yeah. But my point really is the relationship between that person, not just head coach. And so this Gruden thing could really be a hit. As much as everybody's talking about Minshew, did you make the right call? Should you go on Minshew or Foles? Should you maybe go get a different quarterback? Can he be the guy? I think the, my curiosity above all is, is Gruden a great fit here? Is he a great fit with Minshew? Is he a great fit with these these guys on offense? Is he a great fit with Doug Marone? Mm-hmm. And I just think it's an underplayed thing sometimes. If you think about it here in Jacksonville, Nathaniel Hackett had some success in 2017. Mm-hmm. You know, probably the most successful run an offensive coordinator has had here. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, you got to go way back. <laughs> yeah. That ties into some offensive production that's been pretty poor if you go way back. Mm-hmm. When you were here... uh. uh What's his name? End up coaching uh, Dirk Cutter. Yeah, I-, I thought Dirk was good. I thought Dirk was better than people gave him credit for, mm-hmm. uh, and some of that was probably personnel. Sure, uh, but I I was a- more of a fan of Dirk Cutter. That's the last guy that kind of jumps out to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hackett had the big year in seventeen. Did some good things. Well, uh, did some things well. Did some things well, and then I would say Cutter. But it hasn't been this long list of, oh, those are great offensive minds, great coaches, great. And I'm not saying they're not good coaches. I'm talking about the fit. The fit just hasn't been there in Jacksonville. I really wonder, long story short, I really wonder if Gruden uh, is that. And and if yeah. it is, it could be a big home run, man. Well, and listen, I mean, Gruden, obviously, if if he
0: is the right fit, then you're going to have success, and that's fantastic. One could argue then, well, you know, let's say depending on how the season goes next year, does he get another head coaching gig? Then does he take over as head coach? Oh, yeah. Like I mean, those the, all you know, all of those questions have to come to light. But also keep in mind too, the quarterbacks coach, Ben McAdoo, spent time in Green Bay. Another one. He had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was the first guy to tell you that Ben McAdoo was a big piece. He was a big cog of why Aaron Rodgers became Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers is the first person to say that. So. You know, being in that quarterback room with Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, having that young guy who is coming up, and let's be honest, living in Brett Favre's shadow cannot be an easy thing. McAdoo helped Aaron Rodgers out, so I think having the combination of Groon and McAdoo. Now, keep in mind, two former co- head coaches, too, as well. So. You have to ask the question, is it too many cooks in one kitchen? Because you have Doug Marone, you have Gruden, and you have McAdoo. I mean, can can three head coaches essentially coexist together? We'll find out. But I think on paper right now, the way it looks, you have to like what you see.
1: By the way, uh, you know, it's, it's tough being the GM and role-playing as the owner sometimes. When I put out there, I said, I would say no young quarterback. I don't want one this year. Mm-hmm. I've got Dobbs. I've got Minshew. If you want to go get Dalton or anybody else, that's fine. But I'm giving this guy a chance. Mm-hmm. Jay... N.D. Fan says, Are you high? No way you go all in on Minshew. You have to take a QB at some point this year. I don't think I am. Are you high? No. Well, then no one gets you, man. I mean, feelings are getting hurt today. Oh, just
0: wait. I I think I have something planned on Saturday I'm going to release for some mock drafts. Um, I'm waiting to finalize some details, but I might do something.
1: We're going to talk more about the draft and how the Jags look and also who I picked and why I picked at number nine in the Golick and Wingo draft Mm -hmm. and took a lot of heat from you guys. Keep it coming. You people. Keep it coming here on ESPN 6.9. Yeah, uh,
2: I don't really have a whole lot of news on that um, outside of um, we're a week away from the draft and, um, you know, he's... We exercised the franchise tender. He's yet to sign it. And uh, other than that, I, I don't have um, a whole lot to add. And out of respect for him and, and his uh, team and the, our team, I think it's best to just, when I have news for you guys, uh, to let you guys know where we're at.
1: That is Dave Caldwell on Yannick and I shared that a little earlier in the show, and now you heard it from the Jaguars general manager. And that's really about the same thing they said Back at the Combine. So nothing has changed. Now, Jan has talked a lot. They obviously have seen it. I still think this is... When you get to Jan, I think it's a lot about Shad Khan. And few people talk about it that way. I think everybody brings up Tom Coughlin. I think everybody brings up you know Caldwell, still in the front office. And that might be where the angst is on on Ngakwe. I'm not saying Ngakwe has the angst so much with Shad Khan. I just think the power in this move... Lies more with Shad Khan, actually, than even Dave Caldwell, even though Caldwell could be the guy that executes a trade. I think Shad Khan is heavily involved in this. Uh, we'll see what happens, and next week will be a big milestone one way or another. Uh, coming out of the draft, a talking point will be Yon, whether he's with another team or if he's still, in his mind, stuck Mm -hmm. here in Jacksonville for another few months. Brent Martin, Austin Lane, Kuz here on a Thursday edition of Action Sports Jax on ESPN 690. We are one week away from the draft. And by the way, the draft, all three rounds will be right here on ESPN 690 starting next Thursday night. You can listen to it on Friday and Saturday as well right here on ESPN 690. I'm getting fired up for the draft now. And I I like these luncheons, uh, this time a Zoom call where we get to talk to the head coach and the GM. One of the things that came out of there... And correct me if I'm wrong exact wording of it, but basically it was who are like the four guys you wouldn't budge for in this draft? If they were available, you're not going to move in or out of that spot, right?
0: Yeah, it well, was something along the lines of if these four guys, I think, presented themselves, um, you know, they would have to take them, basically. Yeah,
1: basically, there are four guys at the top of their draft board yeah. that if they're there, you can offer me the farm and I'm not moving. Sure. Right? And yep. so who are they? You're asking me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I believe it's
0: well. I mean, I don't want to say it's obvious, but if it's me, it's it's Akuda, it's Kinlaw, it's Brown, and it's Isaiah Simmons.
1: Okay, let me go go a little slower. It's Akuda, Akuda. It's Brown, Brown,
0: Kinlaw, Isaiah Simmons.
1: Interesting. Okay, uh, it's not an
0: offensive lineman. No offensive lineman. Nope. Because here's the question: Who's the top offensive lineman right now in the draft?
1: A lot of people would say worse. Thomas is sliding up. People love Becton as well. So that an- to answer your question, I don't know.
0: And keep in mind, Werfs and uh, some people are saying Willis too. By and the way, Willis, by by the way, way I always, always yeah. leave.
1: Yeah. In fact, he is the the guy that everybody leaves out. And I have seen some folks recently. Again, just depends who you read. Mm-hmm. Say he might be. He's the best. Say he might be the best. So. On those four guys, people have varying opinions. I can tell you, in the poll we did yesterday, kind of like who would you pick at number nine yeah. for the mock draft? Becton had a lot of people, but Werfs was the runaway winner. He was tied uh, with Kinlaw as a second choice amongst the fan base.
0: Okay, just keep in mind though, Werfs played right tackle. Okay, so you're gonna move him to left tackle now because you're not gonna put you're not gonna move uh John Taylor obviously. So Werfs and also Willis. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Willis played right tackle as well, because keep in mind, Tua was a, a southpaw, right? He yeah. was a lefty, so they moved him to the right side. So, Willis Worfs, two right tackles, back Thomas, two left tackles. My point is, if you can't distinctively tell me who the top tackle in this draft's gonna be, I don't think it's on Doug Marone's radar. And keep in mind, Doug Marone is a big offensive lineman guy himself. So that's why I think that the four picks that he's talking about are Brown, Kinlaw, Okuda, and Simmons.
1: This will get into our discussion later on, by the way, too, uh, in the next segment. we talk a little bit more about the big fellas because I thought their response was interesting to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Marone talks about the inability in this draft to be able to work people out. And what they have to do is look at tape and look at those pro days and kind of judge off them. But if you keep in mind, and Ngakwe was a guy they went and worked out. Todd Wash did a couple weeks before the draft. Cam Robinson, a guy they went to work out. So they want to be able to do that. And he specifically said if a guy's going to change positions, you want to be able to do that to kind of get a better feel. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Uh, so you say, Akuda, I think you're 100%. Mm-hmm. I believe you're right on Derek Brown as well. Mm-hmm. I really do. Uh, the other one was Kinlaw. Now, that's where it gets interesting. Do they feel that kind of way about Kinlaw? More on that in just a little bit. Well, And then Isaiah Simmons. And then Simmons. And Simmons is interesting. Do they feel that much about Simmons when you don't have a place to really put him? Well, here's Can my you question. feel that good about a guy that you don't really know where he's going to go? Well, you or would find that a be place. Joe Burrow?
0: You, you have to find a place. My question is, then, who, who are the four guys, do you think?
1: I agree with you on Brown, and I agree with you on Akuda. I really think they love Akuda. I think one of them, because you can do this if you're Caldwell, is one of them's Burrow. Yeah, but but you know Burrow's not going to fall to you. I, I Brent, just, come he on he man, has, why not? You can still be, you still rank Cincinnati. Him. Oh, you still rank them. I mean, it's your job to rank them. Okay. It is
0: though. Yeah, but... The, listen, his I mean, job let's, is not to help us figure if If Bur- Burrow's not going to fall to him, though. like you, 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 You're speaking of what-ifs. You, you don't draft on what-ifs. Like you, Dan Carmo knows dang well that Burrow's not going to fall to Jacksonville.
1: He and does, but he also doesn't have to... He can, he okay, can still yeah, answer the sure. question that All way right. to the media.
0: Okay, so J- Joe Burrow, you got Akuda. You got Brown, who's the fourth guy?
1: I would say Kinlaw because of the lack of depth. Yeah. But that's it. I don't think they rate him as high as those the other two guys especially. Mm-hmm. But I think because of the lack of depth. We're going to talk more about it coming up next. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Did the Jags give us a little bit of a hint how they're feeling about the trenches in this draft and which direction they might go in? We'll hear from them next. You can decide, too, on ESPN 690.
2: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on.